All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, on the line, I got Dave DeCamp, news editor at antiwar.com, news.antiwar.com. Hey, bud, welcome back. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me back. Oh, man. Happy to have you here. Lots of bad news to discuss. My friend uh, Daryl Cooper is in town, my uh, co-author of our upcoming book, on the Ukraine war provoked nobody steal that title provoked America's role in the Russia Ukraine war. Um, and he was saying to me about how they just put this new general in charge and he's the guy who was in charge of the air war in Syria. And he is, you know, now the combined commander of all forces replacing whoever the guy. And, uh, and then he was saying, so, you know, in the war, the Russians, he said, in our wars, the first thing we do is we send our planes in to take out all their electricity. And not only that, but like their water and everything, make sure to leave them, you know, essentially blind as we come for them. And the Russians have not done that here. The Ukrainians have been on the Internet the whole time. And they've waged this war for whatever reasons, seemingly for some sort of public relations reasons, or I don't know exactly what uh, but then he was warning that, of course, they could change that at any time and they could just unleash whatever they want. And and then <laughs> this is I wake up in the morning and this is apparently exactly what's happened now. A massive missile barrage on uh, Kiev and many other parts of Ukraine. So I guess I'll let you take it from there and give us the latest. But yeah, just from the reports that I read this morning, it looks like Russian strikes have hit cities just all across U Ukraine. I mean, almost uh, about 20 cities. And there's reports of electricity outages and internet outages and water uh, being cut off because of all these strikes. Um, so it looks like Russia has you know, entered that phase of the war. And there were times where it seemed like they were going in that direction, like after Ukraine made a uh, had that counter offensive in Kharkiv back in September. Uh, we saw some Russian strikes against power infrastructure in that region, uh, but nothing like this yet. Um, and, you know, it's a good point. The U.S. calls what they're doing a strategic bombing campaign, which is a makes something that's pretty barbaric sound sophisticated because what they're doing is just the idea is to take out civilian infrastructure, um, not just electricity and stuff like that, but also transportation and, and railways and, um, Putin has actually, from how what I understand inside Russia, has been you know under pressure to escalate this war, uh, especially as Russia has made uh, has faced some losses. Not just in Kharkiv, there's been more in the southern Kherson region, which is just north of Crimea. Um, so now, of course, this happens after uh, the, over the weekend the Crimean bridge was blown up, also known as the Kerch Bridge. It goes over the Kerch Strait. Uh, and it connects Crimea to mainland Russia. And it looks like there was a truck bombing and um, it killed a few people, three people. Uh, and, it, you know, it's a civilian bridge. 
Um, it's not clear right now if the truck bomb, if the guy driving the truck was aware that the bomb was in there, if it was a suicide bomber or if it was just somebody that uh, an unlucky person driving this truck that had an explosive in it. Um, but, you know, as soon as that happened, you saw Ukrainian officials celebrating it. Many hawks in the U.S. Um, just posting pictures of the bridge on fire, having all these, you know, n- n- nice things to say about it. Um, so then this seems to be Putin's response, although he has been gearing up for an escalation as Russia has been retreating from some areas along the front line in Eastern Ukraine, they have been sending reinforcements in uh, after this mobilization, Putin ordered 300,000 fresh troops to be called up. So there's been tanks and all sorts of stuff going into Ukraine from Russia. So they've been preparing for some kind of escalation. Uh, So this could have been in the works for a long time and that uh, the timing of it just came after the Crimean bridge explosion or was a direct response to that. It's not exactly clear. But it looks like uh, we've entered a new phase of this war, and it's going to get really brutal, um, especially as we'll probably now see some more fighting on the ground, because it's kind of been at over the weekend, it was kind of at a standstill. There was some fighting, but Ukraine was also reinforcing all of its positions. Um, But it looks like there might be a big push from the Russian side now. And, you know, I mean, this is just what what also has happened is is russia annexing the uh kursan zaporozhia and the donbass the territories that it controls and now they've really upped the ante because they're saying that they will consider attacks on these territories as attacks on russian territory um yeah well that's obviously a massive escalation just with a turn of phrase essentially the stroke of a pen by putin to say, oh, by the way, this is all now Russian territory, and I'll defend it like you were attacking across Russian lines, where before the Americans, for example, wouldn't give the Ukrainians artillery with enough range or missiles with enough range to reach into uh, into Russia. But now they moved Russia's border forward by a few hundred miles. Holy crap. Um and it's a massive escalation on Putin's part right there. And then, of course, after losing, you know, northern Luhansk around Kharkiv on the 10th and 11th and all that, and then with this massive offensive in Kherson, I think uh, Pat Buchanan said he's raising the ante with a losing hand. Um, and now, so then Joe Biden, the president of the United States of America, pronounced in a speech on, what, Friday night, that he said we are closer to nuclear Armageddon than any time since 1962 in the Cuban Missile Crisis. Now, that is extremely alarming, especially because essentially the argument is, yeah, because of that other guy, without, you know, really the kind of introspection we would like to see on behalf of the guy who helped do the coup of 2014 that led to all this. But and his team, Sullivan and Newland, who we know we're in on it. Um, but, so, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's true. I'm repeating myself from the last interview with Medea Benjamin, but hey, this David Sanger article in the New York Times, Dave, is the most hopeful thing I've read about this war this whole time since it started, which I think 
which was that Biden used the term off-ramp in that same speech. And the reason he brought up Armageddon was, I think, reading between the lines here, is he was trying to justify to these Democrat donors that, look, man, we're going to have to find a compromise here and not just push them to total defeat. They need a way out of this where um, they can save some face. Uh, saves, you know, some protection of their interests. And in fact, Medea Benjamin, I, I said that to her, and she read the Jack Kennedy quote, that you cannot give a nuclear weapon state no option between, uh, other than humiliating total defeat or use of nuclear weapons, because they'll choose to use nuclear weapons. That's the danger we're dealing with. So, you know, Biden in his most pale imitation of Kennedy here, I guess, is starting to think maybe we do need a back-channel discussion. Maybe. I mean, this is the most hopeful thing I've seen about this the whole time, I guess. Because well, he could just put Blinken on a plane to Geneva, but since he ain't doing that, is he? Is somebody on the telephone? Has he got Henry Kissinger? Wouldn't that be funny if it was Henry Kissinger who was the one who was making peace here? He wins another Nobel Peace Prize at the end. I don't know. But... And it's great, too, that it's a David Sanger article because he's the single worst human at the times. Uh, but anyway, point being that, you know, maybe maybe the White House is finally as alarmed as you and I are about where they've helped to take this crisis and really are looking for a way out. You know what I mean? It's their off-ramp, too, if they can build one for the Russians, right? So I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I took it when I saw Biden say that, uh, that we're closer to nuclear Armageddon than at any time since the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, I mean, if he really thinks that, that has to mean that he's doing something to kind of uh, de-escalate or ease tensions. So hopefully there's back-channel talks, you know, just because we are just bombarded with bad news. I kind of tried to take him saying that as maybe some good news here, that they're rethinking it. And like you mentioned, you know, what Putin did by annexing these territories and saying that they're going to be Russian forever is that he should, he's saying it's, you know, it's absolutely unacceptable for them to lose those territories and that they'll do anything to defend them. As he said, uh, to defend what he called their territorial integrity. And then other Russian officials have made clear that, yeah, that means nuclear weapons. Um, and maybe Biden is realizing that and, uh, I wonder if he understand if he knows the the mistake that he made in funding this war. Because if you look at the potential peace deals that were on the table before Russia invaded, if you know the Minsk Accords were uh, enforced and Ukraine gave some autonomy to the Donbass, they they would have lost, given finally given up claim to Crimea uh, eventually as well. But now uh, Ukraine is looking at losing uh, all this other territory and. Uh, as, as it continues, as these strikes across Ukraine are showing us, they're going to lose a lot more if this war keeps going. And Russian officials like Lavrov, the foreign minister, has said basically, like, we're going to keep pushing uh, as far as we have to, to like eliminate the threat from Kiev. And that could mean after they consolidate it, right now, I think they're going to focus on taking the rest of Donetsk and 
to really just have con- complete control over the Donbass region. But then after that, maybe they'll go towards Odessa. And then who knows if they could just keep pushing further into Ukraine. Um, so hopefully uh, there is some people coming to their senses in the White House. But again, I mean, they just passed this new uh, about $16 billion new aid for Ukraine, which brings the spending for the war up to $67 billion which is more than Russia's entire military budget was uh, last year. It w- it's just an incredible amount of money that they're spending on this war. So yeah. at the same time, it's hard to believe that they'll just kind of turn that off. And also, I mean, they're not just sending weapons. I mean, they're really providing Ukraine with a lot of intelligence. And well, and the they- training to use those weapons too. And it, enough time has passed mm-hmm. that uh, I guess enough, you know, well, I don't know how much of this is just propaganda or, you know, representative of the actual front, but I've seen a lot of footage of Ukrainians using HIMARS and these other weapons and quite pleased. They're like, man, we used to have this Soviet built crappy military. Now we're firing NATO's best at these bastards. Take that. And so that seems to have been decisive in some places or, you know, the margin of victory, as they say. Yeah, I think it's definitely helping them. I mean, they've, you know, the war's been going on for over six months now, and they've been training. I know the U.S. has been training Ukrainians in Germany. Over in the U.K., they've been training thousands of Ukrainian troops on, on how to use weapons like this and stuff. So, um, you know, and you hear the rhetoric from NATO and, and from Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense. They're saying they want to turn Ukraine basically into a NATO, uh, you know, you could argue that it's already a de facto NATO member, but what they're saying is they they want the Ukrainian armed forces to just be using all NATO equipment. They want to phase out all the old Russian stuff. So they have plans to be supporting this war for years and years. And Austin keeps saying that they're going to support Ukraine for the long haul. Um, so that's another reason why, you know, maybe they're not actually thinking about de-escalating here. Um, because they just have these great plans for Ukraine and for other countries in the region, all the former Soviet uh, republics and stuff there. They're trying to phase out all their Russian equipment. So the U.S. weapons makers are going to just be making a killing on on all this. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, but besides just sending weapons and training, they're also providing intelligence. They say that they, they don't help them pick targets, but they're, you know, providing them with targeting intelligence from how I understand it. Um, and there's also CIA on the ground, according to the New York Times. And recently, just the other day, the, the intercepts reported. And I usually, you know, I wouldn't use the intercept, especially because it, it came from James Risen, who's, who's a big Russia gator. But buried in this story that he wrote about how the CIA predicted the war wrong, uh, it said that there are special U.S. special operations forces on the ground. Um, and there weren't many details about it. But, I mean, it's not really a surprise, but th- that seemed to be the first confirmation that I saw that it was U.S. special operations forces there. I knew that there are um, forces from Britain and other NATO countries, but, it you know, the U.S. is very you know, who knows what they're doing in the, in the, in the country? How involved are they really with the war? They're, they're helping Ukraine uh, war game, their counteroffensives. Um, so it's just the U S is so involved. And right now really Russia has, you know, this idea kind of a lot of the accusations against Russia that they did the Nord Stream pipeline bombing, which I think doesn't hold up because <laughs> Russia doesn't have an interest in bombing its own pipeline. But if you hear what 
people on CNN are saying is that like, oh, they, they need a false flag to justify an escalation in the war. But they don't need that. They have all the pretexts they need. You know, when when Putin did invade on February 24th, that was when, you know, he stopped caring what the West was going to do. He well, and he need- outlined in that speech a case for invading and conquering the entire country at that mm-hmm. point. I don't think that was necessarily his intention, but that was certainly as far as his argument went. His argument went as far as Romania and Moldova and Poland. I saw it. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right about that. And, of course, because they just can't admit that, of course, it was the Americans and their allies who did it. Why would the Russians do it? If the Russians wanted to jerk the Germans' chain with the gas, then it would be better to leave the pipeline intact. They can turn it on and turn it off and all this. Supposedly, that's the whole point, is to extort the Germans. So they're going to blow up their own pipeline so that they can no longer extort the Germans? Okay. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, really. They're dumb, but they're not stupid, right? Yeah. But still, it's just amazing how, how, how much they've tried to, to blame Russia, like in the media and stuff, even though it's just so obvious. Hey, look, uh, all the same sources that told us that Hunter Biden's uh, laptop was somehow manufactured in Moscow and then planted at this repair shop in Delaware, they're all real sure. Yeah. (laughs) They all tell us off the record that they all agree with each other about this, and that's pretty good. mm -hmm. All right. Well, and look, I mean, you know, we got 300,000 reserves called up and then a massive conscription going on on the Russian side here. And I know somebody who was conscripted out of jail where that per—well, I don't know this. I know of this person. Is that what I said? I want to be clear. I know of a person who was conscripted out of jail where this person was sitting for being at an anti-war protest in the first place and then conscripted right into the army. So, I mean, when Putin is so bold as to annex these four massive oblasts, either he has a plan for backing that up or he doesn't. And sure, hope it ain't atom bombs. That would be the shortcut, presumably, although more likely the shortcut to all of us dying and it being a moot point anyway. But the, the other, uh, you know, the, in fact, never even mind that. I mean, if he's going to actually, if he's not just, well, look, I mean, once he's annexed these areas and signed into law, like he's not negotiating that away either. Right. It's approach. You might as well be Crimea at this point, as far as from the Russians point of view. And they should have negotiated back in April, man. And this thing is going on. But so now what does that mean? It means he has to occupy that land with hundreds of thousands of men until, mm-hmm. and, right, and win until he has a treaty signed that says that these are the new borders. And, I mean, there ain't no backing down from that. Talk about throwing your hat over the fence. And this guy has just launched this massive escalation with the stroke of a pen here. To back that up is going to mean, yeah, full-scale invasion. They say it's only a partial mobilization now. I don't know. And and I guess it does depend on what this new guy does with the air power. You know, maybe he can just destroy the Ukrainian army on the ground. You know, they haven't been hitting even the new weapons pouring in across the borders and stuff. Um, they haven't been destroying the railways that the new weapons are being transported on and all these things. So the Russians could really escalate just with missiles and bombs to a great degree, seemingly. But yeah, ultimately, and, and, you need infantry standing on street corners or you do not own that territory. You know what I mean? That's what it comes down to. Yeah. 
And this means, I mean, by him ordering the partial mobilization, it means that there's, he's saying that there's room to escalate further. Um, but, you know, if you just looking back at all these reports, and I'm sure you remember a lot of them, you know, we've just been getting like a flood of reports from, you know, anonymous U.S. officials saying that Russia's running out of missiles and that saying that they can't get air dominance in Ukraine because Ukraine's air defenses are, are too good. And that's why they haven't been bombing, you know, across the country. But I think this shows that that was all, you know, nonsense and that they, they have been holding back. Um, well, they were claiming in the news today, I don't know if you saw, but they were claiming that they had shot down double digits. I forgot what it was, but like we shot down 45 out of 80 cruise missiles or some kind of thing like that. Yeah. You know? This obviously couldn't possibly be true. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, this is all just played into all, it's just such a big propaganda campaign. This idea that we could, the U S could support Ukraine to, enough to drive them out of these territories and that, that they could actually have a victory here. Um, I mean, not to mention just the idea that, that Ukraine uh, at that point, Russia wouldn't use nuclear weapons or some of its, bigger missiles just to not lose all that territory in, in Ukraine. So, I mean, just it's, it's really infected a lot of people, this idea that no, we have to support Ukraine until they can drive Russia out. And then anybody that's been calling for peace talks, they just call, a, you know, all sorts of names and everything. But, you know, if peace was negotiated earlier, Ukraine would have lost a lot less and a lot less Ukrainians and Russians would be dead right now. Um, so this was just always going to be the result of the U.S. policy of shipping tens of billions of dollars worth of weapons into yeah. Ukraine, giving them all sorts of support and just discouraging peace talks at every turn. Look, I mean, um, I covered it at the time. I think this was before the Saudis bombed that school bus and you got involved. But that Angela Merkel came to D.C. when with Holland in tow on the end of her leash and informed Obama, Mr. President, we are going to go and negotiate with Putin and make a peace deal right now. And Obama said, yes, Frau Merkel. And then she went and did her thing, and that was it. She didn't come to ask his permission. She paid him the respect of coming all the way to D.C. to let him know. But then she went and made a deal. And Obama then put the USA's rubber stamp handshake signature agreement on the bottom line, too. And so did the U.N., so that makes it not just America's allies deal. It's Obama's essentially a deal that he agreed to as well. Minsk too, which was supposed to bring an end to the fighting and essentially statehood, strong autonomy for the Donbass and Luhansk and not Zaporozhye and Kherson, right? Just the two uh, Eastern oblasts. And even then it was debatable about whether we're talking about the territory already controlled by the separatists or the traditional boundaries of those oblasts, whatever. But all that was supposed to be negotiated in peace, and the Americans refused to play their part, and that goes for the Obama government and the Biden government. Refused to play their part in saying, hey, we have to negotiate here. Hey, guys, anybody who signs up to listen to this show by way of Patreon will be invited to join the Reddit group. And I'm going to start posting stuff over there more. That's patreon.com slash Scott Horton Show. Thanks. Hey, y'all, LibertasBella.com is where you get Scott Horton Show and Libertarian Institute shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and stickers and things, including the great Top Lobsters designs as well. See, that way it says on your shirt why you're so smart. Libertas Bella. 
from the same great folks who bring you Ammo.com for all your ammunition needs, too. That's LibertasBella.com. You guys, check it out. This is so cool. The great Mike Swanson's new book is finally out. He's been working on this thing for years. And I admit, I haven't read it yet. I'm going to get to it as soon as I can. But I know you guys are going to want to beat me to it. It's called Why the Vietnam War? Nuclear Bombs and Nation Building in Southeast Asia, 1945 through 61. And as he explains on the back here, all of our popular culture and our retellings and our history and our movies are all about the height of the American war there in, say, 1964 through 1974. But how do we get there? Why is this all Harry Truman's fault? Find out in Why the Vietnam War by the great Mike Swanson. Available now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Stephen Cohen had made this point back then that, listen, Kiev needs our help to quell these extremely right-wing militias, these Nazi militias, in order that they can pursue negotiations and peace. But right now they have these guys who are essentially rabid dogs who aren't even on a chain and that the president can't really do anything about. And so, and we see that footage of Zelensky complaining to C-14, the Nazis, telling them, I need you guys to pull back to that town back over there instead of here because I'm trying to negotiate this thing. And they tell him to go to hell. And everyone can find this. The quote is Zelensky. And then he says, I am not a loser. I am 41 years old. And he's essentially, I think he even stomps his foot like a kid. You have to listen to me. I am the president of this country. And mm -hmm. these guys are just 20-something-year-old militia guys. They're not anybody's officer or anything. And they just tell them, forget you. And so Stephen Cohen's point was he could have cracked down on them with America's help or even if America yeah. had encouraged the Germans to help him do it or something. That could have been solved and they could have implemented Minsk. But because the Americans didn't want it implemented, it wasn't. You know, and that goes for, you know, all three of these administrations. Yeah. Yeah. No, he he always said that because uh, Zelensky, you know, ran on ending the, the war in the Donbass. But I, and I remember Stephen Cohen saying that the Trump administration has to, uh, you know, back him up on that if, if that's ever going to happen. But un unfortunately, it, it clearly didn't. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that's the reality is you could even say, you know, in a sense, because, you know, the Hawks on this side of the war party always said that Russia had already invaded over and over again all these last eight years. The fact that they had special operations forces there, that was their narrative. And it does kind of make sense in a way. It was deniable clandestine forces, but they were there. And so then maybe the war just started in 2014. And what happened in February was a massive escalation by the Russians in a war that had been going on all along. It's kind of hard to have two starts to the same war. Um, yeah. Although, obviously, that doesn't mean that what he did was not aggression in the sense of, you know, the disproportionality of the violence involved. You know what I mean? If somebody punches you, mm -hmm. you can't shoot them. 
Yeah, well, it's definitely important. Um, you know, a lot of times when I'm talking about the war, I say the current war in Ukraine, uh, even though it is a continuation in a sense of the war that was going on in the Donbass. But, you know, there was a war going on, um, over 10,000 people killed in that war uh, as a result that was sparked yeah, by the U.S.-backed coup. And civilian, lots of civilians were killed in, in Ukraine. The Kiev government was bombing civilian uh residential areas and stuff for for years i mean it was at a stalemate uh most of the time but there were still flare-ups uh a lot so the people there have been living um you know in in a war zone for years and years um so from the russian point of view uh they they're saying that they're finishing that that war um so people just it's good for people to understand that that that's uh how they view it and that for the people you know when you saw these referendums i mean you, you can't say that uh, the ones in Zaporozhia and Kherson are are legitimate because you have to assume all the pro-Kiev people probably left. Um, but in the Donbass, I mean, people there have been asking to join Russia since 2014, and uh, Putin said no. So it's not just uh, totally black and white like Russia is the aggressor. Um, they definitely are in a sense, but there's just a lot more to the story. And they try to erase this history. You know, history starts at February 24th for the U.S. media. Um, that's why they call it an unprovoked war. Yeah, man. Um, they sure do. Uh, and it's <laughs> funny, of course, they have to insist that it's unprovoked because then you might ask, well, what provoked it? And I guess that yeah. works. I guess people. Well, even if you think about the word provoked, like it's not like. I mean, mur some murders are provoked. You know, it doesn't yeah, mean it doesn't that they're justify right. it, right? Yeah, it's just like, just about everything is provoked, unless somebody's like a serial killer, like a total sociopath or something. But no, man, yeah. if you if you're a murder detective and you're seeking the motive of a crime, that makes you an apologist for the murderer. <laughs> exactly. That's why yeah. you went into detective work in the first <laughs> place, so you could excuse away the murders that you solve. Yeah, so it's it's really um, just Orwellian in in a sense. And uh, I know I, I've seen Noam Chomsky talk about this, um, just how how they're trying to control the language like that. Uh, I mean, you just see it everywhere, unprovoked, unprovoked. Yep. And in all the U.S. government statements, I mean, they just sound like childish in a way that they can't talk about this war without adding all these adjectives. It's like the unprovoked, murderous, irrational like yeah. invasion of Ukraine. Like, I mean, yeah, even in the news writing, you know, this was... Um a New York Times piece that Taibbi was uh, highlighting last week was his illegal annexation of this and his, you know, totally bogus election that he held. And it's like, come on. Obviously, the election that he held, the referendum was bogus, dude. You don't have to beat me over the head yeah. to tell me that that's not a legitimate vote in the middle of a war and occupation like this uh, invasion. Um you know what I mean? But they got to, you know, load all these, you know, uh, opinion piece terms into their hard news reporting. Otherwise, it's disinformation or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really crazy the way it, everything is right now. It's just crazy. Um, So, yeah, speaking of crazy, the last part of this that I wanted to ask you about was um, Zelensky's deputy minister guy was demanding that America launch a preemptive nuclear strike last week. And then there was this new video, which I'm not sure, you know, I should always have my wife check the translations of these things. I know there was an edit and I don't know. Um, 
if it was legit, but it seemed uh, there was at least some video of Zelensky saying uh, that there should be some kind of preemptive strike on Russia. Uh, did you ever nail that down? Yeah, so it looks like he did say um, uh, that, you know, called for NATO to launch a sort of uh, preemptive or preventative, depending on the translation that you saw, strike on Russia uh, to uh, make sure that they don't use a nuclear weapon. And um, he didn't call for a nuclear strike. I think that was kind of the mistranslation that was put out is that he said that they should be hit with a nuclear weapon first. And then one of his advisors, or it was his press secretary, later said, oh, he was talking about sanctions. <laughs> Those are the kind of preventative strikes he was talking about. But from my understanding, the trans- he did say, you know, pre- preemptive strike on Russia. Mm. Well, I mean, I appreciate NATO, them backing down. I don't care if it's nonsense. Well, what matters is yeah, they're backing yeah. down is the context True. there. So good. But yeah, yeah. I mean, he, it's, you know, he said it's something tank. And now look, and then, and then they signed it and he decreed a decree that they will never negotiate with Russia until Putin is gone. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, that was his response to the annexation. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, the lesson there for all of us is just look at Afghanistan. Bush and Obama agreed that Kabul has to be involved in any negotiation with the Taliban. Of course, they don't want a negotiation. They want America to stay and protect them. Same mm-hmm. thing here. So America's just going to have to make a deal without them then. Yeah. That's you know, what, same that's thing in Vietnam. Like. You know, this is how Nixon and Kissinger scotched the uh, earlier end to the war when uh, Johnson was negotiating in 1968. They sent Anna Chenault to rat to the South Vietnamese regime that the Americans were secretly negotiating with the North behind their back. And then that blew it up and caused the war to continue. Uh, it's treason. In fact, I don't know if you know about this. There's Someone can find it somewhere, I'm sure. There's audio of... Johnson on the phone with a Republican senator friend of his and he says well that's treason they ought not to be doing that he's talking about Nixon and Kissinger mm-hmm. ruining his peace talks anyway point is hey if the regime in Kiev doesn't want to cooperate well whatever I think also we could throw Anthony Blinken overboard and find the deputy assistant secretary of state for something not Victoria Newland. somebody somewhere there who cares about the future of this country at all to go and negotiate with Sergey Lavrov now, you know, Blinken yeah. can go and resign and wash dishes with Charlie Savage at pizza hut. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really hope we see some kind of backing down from the U S here, but um, I'd really think the best thing <clears throat> I mentioned this a lot. Uh, I probably said it the last time I was on here, but kind of the best thing we could hope for is uh, the, Germans and the French and the European governments to uh, stop going along with this. And I think we might see a lot of unrest, you know, as the winter comes and and energy prices are just so high and people are going to be fed up with the fact that their government is sending all this money to Ukraine and these sanctions have just totally backfired on Europe. Dave, 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 don't worry. We'll just print more money, man. It'll be (laughs) fine. (laughs) Yeah. They'll put price caps on everything. Yeah, that's right. But, but I mean, and the option, you know, you talked about the Nord Stream pipeline. I mean, that was always an option for Germany to was to turn that back on, but that option seems to be gone. Although Gazprom did say that one line of the Nord Stream two looks like it it could be operational, and they they said 
Um, so the Nord Stream 2, it has two different lines and only one was damaged in the blast. Huh. It, so it appears right now, uh, we don't really know for sure, but Gazprom said, just say the word, we'll start shipping gas to Germany, you know, through this line. What the and hell that, kind of lousy sabotage is that? Yeah. That must be the Americans. This sounds like such a half-assed job. And then Nord Stream 1, they got both lines there, but... Um, mm. I can hear Sherry Bobbin singing her song right now. I'm not going <laughs> to replicate it, but I'm just telling you it's in my head. All right, real quick before we go, Dave, tell us about the fun drive at antiwar.com going on right now here. Yeah, so it's that time of year again where we have to ask our readers uh, to pitch in and donate. That's how we get by. We are entirely reader-funded, and we've been getting some pretty serious uh, endorsements from people. Uh, we had a letter from Noam Chomsky saying that you know, we, we dropped him a line and asked if he would write a letter for us. And he wrote an amazing letter, basically saying that he relies on antiwar.com as, as a news source. He called us an unflinching source of truth. Um, so that was very cool. He mentioned some specific things that I've covered in my writing. So it's just very cool to know that, you know, Chomsky is reading us. Hell yeah. And, and now today we have, uh, if you look at the top of the page, Colonel Douglas McGregor gave us a great endorsement. Um, you could read that. And uh, we got more people coming. Uh, we, we've been reaching out um, to people that we know that read us and appreciate us to give us a good word just because, you know, it's it's been getting, it's been hard for everybody. So it's been getting harder to raise money, but that's what we need to get by. And also besides all the work I do writing in the news section, I also just started a podcast um, where I go over my news stories every day. And you could listen to the audio version wherever you listen to podcasts. You could watch on YouTube or Odyssey. I do a little video. Um, so that's just another way I'm trying to get this information out there. So if you appreciate what we do, not to mention all the great writers in the viewpoint section and all the help we've been getting from you, from uh, Kyle Anzalone, who's our opinion editor, but also a writer at the Libertarian Institute and Connor Freeman and Will Porter. We've been using a lot of their stuff. So we just have a ton of content and people should donate. Absolutely right. Antiwar.com slash donate. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Scott. All right, you guys, and I think you already know that Dave is the one single best and most important reason to donate to antiwar.com. What he's done with the news section there at news.antiwar.com has just been absolutely fantastic. He's written thousands and thousands of articles, writes sometimes 10 a day, something like that, explaining not just the news. Hey, everybody, here's what the Washington Post is saying, but here's how you could understand that if you remember what they said last week kind of thing and then you can get yeah it's biased and filtered but it's by my man your man that you can trust to you know um explain what the post and the times really mean when they claim what they claim and so i know i rely on them i know you rely on them news.antiwar.com for dave decamp and antiwar.com slash donate to keep him at work thank you the Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. APSradio.com, antiwar.com, scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.